Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've learned from my struggles with chemo brain and executive functioning disorder. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now entrepreneur, with 20 years of experience in business and office design. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, mom of a teen, a wife, and a lifelong learner. I've discovered that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget important appointments, we can learn to be more productive. We can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and much more manageable. Listen in and learn how to create a plan to streamline your space and your systems so you can be more focused and organized. Hey everyone, Katherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and host of your podcast, The Uncluttered Office. Today, I have a special guest with me. Dave Pelland works with services firms to help them build relationships by publishing content that supports their business goals. His latest book, How to Plan a Content Marketing Project, outlines a basic framework for publishing content efficiently. Hey, Dave, how are you? Hi, Catherine. I'm doing well, and thanks for the opportunity to hang out. I'm very psyched that you're here, especially since I've had a chance. You were kind enough to send me your book. Here it is. Yeah, I, I always put the little sticky notes so I know what I want to talk about here. I'm very visual, blue, color-coded for you, for your blue room, <laughs> and, we, we, and your large fish. Any writer likes seeing sticky notes coming out of a book that they wrote, so thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. So I'm having you on today because we are, first of all, Toastmasters friends and colleagues. And second, I think it's great to have someone on who can talk about the process of content marketing, not just simply writing, but then how does one process it? So if someone's writing a book or maybe they're doing a podcast, it's more than just writing it down. There's the editing and putting it all together and then reutilizing content. So I guess we'll start with how did you get into this and where were you before you were Super Dave extraordinaire writer? Thank you, Catherine. I would say writing has always been something that I've enjoyed and it's something I've always had a flair or a knack for. As a kid in high school, I knew that when I grew up, I was going to be a writer in some fashion. Didn't know what that would look like. I remember one time we were on vacation in New Hampshire. We're on a lake outside Keene, Lake Spofford. And we're hanging out on the beach and there was a cottage next to where we were swimming. And inside that cottage, I could hear someone typing. And it dawned on me, hey, someone is in there writing on a lake. That's cool. That's what I want to do someday. Well, now I'm basically typing on a laptop that doesn't make the cool typewriter noise, and I'm not on a lake. Although I could probably bring the laptop to a lake when it gets a little bit warmer. But I've always known that that was what I wanted to do. Went to school, studied communications, worked as a newspaper reporter for a few years, shifted over to corporate communications for a few years, then got involved in marketing and more specifically content marketing, producing content to help at my time the employer, now my clients, further their business goals by using content as a way to build relationships. 
Cooper. Want to talk about the book? I'd love to talk about the book. So one of the things that you talk about, so every chapter is nice and short, which is great, and it, and goes through chronologically, which makes tremendous sense. And one of my favorite chapters is maintaining version control. So as a productivity consultant, what I often see is people who will have seven, eight, nine, ten copies of the same document, and they have no idea which is the most recent one. And I am betting that is one of the most important things you have to deal with as you're passing documents back and forth. They're working on the document, you're working on the document. Talk to me a little bit about some of the things you do to ensure that everyone knows they're on the same page and it's the last page. Absolutely. And that actually became, uh, let me back up and say, the book actually started with a version control project that I had probably about a year and a half ago now. We were doing a white paper and we had, as you said, someone was making, say we had the second draft that went to three people. Each person then sent their draft to the other two people. And so we have one person working in a draft that included another person's changes. We had someone working independently. And in the next draft, we had someone who would make changes to like half the document. Only time to get through half of it. We sent it and they sent it forward. And then two days later, they would send back what was supposedly the second half of the document, but they'd also made changes to the first half of that document. And really, there's a couple of ways to try and combat that. And the first one is just defining at the start of the project who is going to send the drafts and who the recipients will send the drafts back to. Mm. So you have one person who's essentially reviewing and coordinating all the changes, sending out a draft so people can review those changes, cleaning those up, and then sending another version for people to look at. And it's just another handy thing that goes along with that is renaming the file with the version and the date. So each time you send it, you say, okay, team, now we're working on version three. It's the October 23rd version, and that could help. Another way that's really helpful is to try and get away from the idea of swapping word processing documents back and forth by having people work on a central document in the cloud. Right. So that could be Google Docs, it could be Drive, that links to Microsoft's um, Microsoft's productivity tools. But if people are working on, quote unquote, the same document, that can also help reduce some of the version control challenges that you run into. That's interesting you say that because I went kicking and screaming to Google Drive, like kicking and screaming. And what finally converted me was I was working on a document in conjunction with someone else completely unrelated to my business at all. And I noticed this funny thing. And that was if I made a change, everybody could see the change right then. Whereas if I was taking a Word doc and sending it back and forth, nobody really knew. And so we did move a couple of the things in my business, including a spreadsheet that says when my podcast guests are coming on. So uh, that is now in Google Docs. I think that's what you call it, Google Docs, Google Drive. And uh, so when, when, when Dave sends me his bio and his headshot, there are little boxes where I can check off that you sent them. I can check off 
uh, that I sent it out to you requesting for that, that I've set up the Zoom meeting, when we're recording, what date we're going to uh, broadcast the show. And that's all in one place. So translate this into an actual document, because I don't know if you also do writing within sort of spreadsheets or not. But if it was like content, either we're working on it in Google Docs and we're making changes there, or I will take the Microsoft Word document and put the changes in the comments. That way it doesn't mar the original. I'm also not you- naming a file when it's done, final, all in capital letters. <laughs> I've also seen documents come back final, final two. So that that's yeah, that that can that can be a helpful approach, but people will still try and work around that one as well. I, I can neither confirm nor deny ever having done that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't ask. <laughs> I think you know the answer. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. Final. Oh, oops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hold on, I revise the final. Yeah. So uh, working in collaboration on documents is a very interesting um, process. And it's the case for anyone, even very small businesses. Mine is extremely small. But I do have four or five people in the background on the team as like subcontractors. And we do have to have these processes in place. And, And one of the things I love about the book is that you really lay this out. You say from day one, figure out who does what, you know, who owns which part of the of the kingdom. And really, it's taking a step back from the idea of, okay, we want to produce content to thinking about producing that content as a project and investing some time, an hour, two hours, what have you, in thinking through the process of how you're going to get that content published slash that project completed. And I don't want to say that publishing a 15, 16 page white paper is the same process as building a bridge, but they do have some similarities in that you have to allocate resources. You need to define the goal. Okay, we want to cross this bridge without cars falling off it. We want to publish this white paper so our people have a reason to reach out to their prospects. You think about the steps that are involved, you think about the resources that we're going to need. And some of the steps involved in a process have dependencies. Right. You know, we can't start this project until the steel gets delivered. We can't do this step of the project until someone sends back their changes to the second draft. So it's just trying to visualize that ahead of time. And then once you visualized it, writing it down so that everybody, and sharing it, so that everybody understands what's going to be expected of them and give or take when that's likely to happen. Right. I had a similar experience recently. I was all set to start putting my course and program onto Thinkific, which is a brand new software platform to me. Lots of people use Thinkific to teach courses. And what I loved about Thinkific is they give you the step-by-step, basically the getting started how-to. And it's very similar to what you said. It's like building a bridge. And suddenly I realized I was just barreling ahead. I was all determined to start putting my content in there. And Thinkific was like, nope. (laughs) 
slow down, lady. You're going to plan your content. Are you going to provide that as a PDF? Are you going to this? Are you going to that? And then you fill all all these boxes in this checklist, which is wonderful when you're managing a project. And what I do with clients, don't get me wrong. But you know, it's so funny. We can even do exactly what we, you know, the opposite of what we tell our clients to do. So I was really glad Thinkific put the brakes on me and, and then planned it through. And so even though it's taking me longer to put the course up, it's going to be really good. And it's going to be really good, just like a white paper would be, because there's a plan in place before just slapping the information in there. I mean, imagine you're writing a white paper on, um, I'm trying to think of a good accounting topic, because that's something you do a lot of. Go ahead, pick one for me. Um, let's take a look at, at accounting for leases. Okay, so accounting for leases. You're going to want to take a look at what kind of information needs to be in there. Are you an expert in leases? I'm not. Do I need to bring in an expert in leases, right? So there's all these kinds of things that we want to take a look at before we just jump into slapping a book together. You want to look at your outline and your chapters and your subheadings and all these kinds of things. And then work from that. Also, you want to work from, um, and I didn't even talk about this, but we can. Who's your end reader? Now, who's your ideal client? And that's such an important aspect to that, because if you spend the time to think about that end reader, that ideal customer, that target audience, you have to go beyond thinking about who they are or what they do for a living to start to think about, okay, what are they concerned about? And the more narrowly you can define that, and let's use the leases example, okay, what specifically about leases are they going to be most concerned about immediately? Well, it could be, okay, I'm a CFO of a mid-market company and I've got three locations. Well, each location may have leases for, I don't know, copiers or delivery vans, but those were all done locally. Mm -hmm. So me as a company, I don't necessarily know what they have leases. So now that I have to account for leases on my balance sheet, I suddenly have to come up with a process for doing an inventory of what I have in all those locations. What's leased? When does it expire? How much am I paying? All these details that I roughly knew were out there, but now I need the specifics. So if you take that example, okay, fine. How do you then go about physically doing that inventory? that becomes a topic of your white paper. And it's very easy to say, hey, CFO of a Midwestern company, if you're having an issue preparing inventories for your leases in your three locations, here's a white paper that's going to help. Now you've got a reason to communicate with them. Now you can start to build or enhance a relationship. I love it. That's great. One of the other things you talk about in here, I'm going to go back to the book. Because... Leases are not my bailiwick. <laughs> Nor mine. I just happen to write about them from time to time. Fantastic. I mean, that is a gift. And, you know, you go out, you do your research and you learn just like I did. You know, I mean, I'm studying ADHD now and how to become a coach. It's not like I just magically had this information in my head. I'm, I'm out there learning about it. So another chapter I absolutely love in here, and this is something that's really great for um, small businesses, is the chapter on identifying content spinoff opportunities. And specifically, the part I love, because I'm a very visual person, is this nifty chart 
where you say, here's your white paper, and here are the areas you could use information from this white paper, whether it's a webinar, a podcast, a video, um, infographics, social posts, and articles. There are so many ways you can reuse content. And especially if you're a small business owner, you don't have a whole lot of time to keep generating all new content. I'm constantly like taking a quote from my podcast or reworking it into a video or making a social post. Is that the kind of thing you also do for your clients? Yes. And it's to, to your point, Catherine, if you're going to invest the time in producing a larger piece of content, it's worthwhile to take the time to then think, okay, what else can we do with this? So you can take an aspect of a larger project and use it to produce shorter form content. As we said, it could be videos, it could be social media posts that do two things. First, they provide a degree of value just by themselves. Hey, here's a company, here's some information, that's interesting. But also it can provide a promotional vehicle for the larger content that then drives the engagement that you're hoping for and helps you build on, it helps you build a reach of that larger piece of content so that more people see it and more people engage with it. Love it. You and I are sort of notoriously big personalities. And as I think about sharing content, I think about the authenticity, I mean, the most overword used on the planet of, um, although right now maybe pandemic is the most overused word on the planet. Or what's the other one? Unprecedented. That's the word that drives me nuts. Anyway. Or the uh, unprecedented, authentic pandemic. Right. There they are all together. So the authenticity piece, the, you know, sharing as you're, as you're doing your content. Let's talk about what it means to share who you are, your personal brand, not just your company brand. Yeah, I think that comes down to a couple of choices, Catherine. And it could be the words that you use. If you tend to be a fairly direct person, use fairly direct language as you're drafting your copy. And it's a really common trap, especially with professional services, consulting, those sorts of sectors, to use complicated language, use jargon that does have its place. But If you're trying to reach an audience that may not understand that jargon, using jargon, you're going to lose them. And I think as a small business owner, if you're doing a video, you want to talk the way you would talk to a customer. You may not talk the way you would talk to your buddies at the bowling alley, but you would at least talk to people simply, directly, clearly because that will come through in the content and people will get a sense of who you are as a person, then by extension, who you are, what you're like to work with. That will resonate with some people. It won't resonate with others, but that's okay. Because if your content doesn't resonate with somebody, it's probably better for you and that prospect to understand that before you try to work together because that's a project that's probably not going to work out well for anybody 
So if there's not a great fit, the sooner you can figure that out, the better. And producing content can be a way of attracting people you want to attract. And then an equally important benefit, helping shoo away people that you're just not right for. Absolutely. And we're not a good fit for everybody. This is something that I really struggled with over probably last year, 2019. I did actually hire a coach to help me with content. And one of the biggest things that changed for me was actually doing the podcast because it helped me find my voice. And what I found was how I speak was very different from how I used to write. How I speak is very different from how I used to write. And there's that English literature degree coming up right there. <laughs> this very precise use of language. And it, it would kind of bite me because what would happen is, is I would, I'd spent so many years communicating in first in an academic type of setting. And that's one style of writing. Then followed by working in corporate, even as big a company as AIG. And we had a big international side, actually worked on the international side. And that's another style of writing that has to be extremely precise uh, because you have to make sure that people understand you because you're dealing with people all over the world. And then going in and, and doing my own business and, and marketing myself, I would write in this very, I hate to use the word stilted, but a style that wasn't me. Um, it was me for my writing style. And I had to learn how to have to, uh, really for a while, what I did was I would speak into a voice to text. And then I cleaned it up <laughs> to make it a little, little tidier. But it's taken, I'm going to say, an evolution of almost a year for me to get to the point where I can write pretty much the way I speak. One of the best pieces of advice that I got early on in my writing career was I was working for a trade association that served risk managers, people who buy insurance. And there'd be a couple of times where I would write something and my boss and editor would say, you know, what are you trying to say? And I would say, well, no, I want to say A, B, C, D. And she said, okay, phrase it like that. Right. Don't try and explain it in a complicated fashion. Just the way you would describe it, to your point, the way you would describe it as you were speaking is the way that you should write it. Right. And it's just, it's such a simple, clear, concise style of writing. And there's people who think, you know, oh, I'm going to write, I should try to use lofty language. And yeah. the simpler, the more direct you can make your copy, the easier it's going to be to understand. And therefore, the more effective it's going to be in conveying your message. I have a teen daughter and she writes. I did not even know this, but over the summer when there was nothing to do, and he knows better than to say I'm bored, uh, I decided to start writing a sequel or something to a Harry Potter to one of the Harry Potter movies. And she was writing the book, and she's got quite this following. And some young gal on it wrote her and said, "I love how you write, etc. Do you have any advice for someone who's just starting to write a book?" And I thought this was such a great advice for anybody writing anything. I was so blown away by a 15-year-old saying this. And yeah, I'm biased. I know. She's my kid. So she said, this is, the thesaurus is your friend, but 
if you're going to use it to find an alternate word, make sure it's a word you would have used anyway, meaning in your voice, in the way you, in your style, as opposed to just grabbing some random, as you said, lofty word, and then putting it out there to make you look smarter or whatever. And I thought it was such a great advice because it's really true. I was a, I think I was in ninth grade and I had written a paper for my science class for earth science. And I got this horrible grade on it, just dreadful grade. And I've always had an incredibly extensive vocabulary. And so I wrote it that way. And the reason I got a horrible grade is because she thought I had cheated, that I plagiarized the paper, which was patently untrue. I had listed my sources, et cetera. So I went to her to talk to her about it. And I said, I just don't understand why you would think this. I listed all my sources. Did you go to the library and check? Well, go look and see. This is really my writing style. This is how I write. I did get my grade increased slightly. It was no longer just horrific. But I don't think I ever really convinced her that I hadn't plagiarized. And uh, that's that can be the uh, you know, double-edged sword of using those lofty words. And that just cycles back to what you said to what you said earlier about authenticity. Right. There were your words, but it didn't sound like your words, and so people in this case, the teacher questioned the validity of the content. No, that's, I love how you tied that up with a bow. <laughs> I how that works. That's the writer. Thank you. And, and who you are, which is super fun. So with that, I think the best thing I could ask you is how can people find you? Probably the easiest place would be my website, davepelland.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, Dave Pelland. And... Yeah, those will probably be the two primary places. Super, I appreciate that. And I will make sure to put those um, links in the show notes. I'm so grateful you came here today to talk with us about content writing, marketing, etc. I think this is a really useful subject and I've had a ton of fun. I hope you have too. I have. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Dave. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.